Well, uh, we are talking about uh, facilities and making space for our youth, so we don't have to send them out in the cold. Uh, and uh, this is actually the second part of a series uh, which I'm doing uh, on uh, leadership, buildings, and faith. Uh, if you uh, are visiting us for the first time or you missed last week's uh, sermon, which was the first in this part, uh, I recommend that you listen to it uh, online. Uh, Ken's feeling the pressure because he's got to get them online, uh, but Ken promised me that he'll take his whole Columbus Day and catch up and get the sermons online so that you can indeed listen to them uh, and be up to date. But uh, this is part two of that series, and uh, I do want to be uh, sharing with you today this whole idea about uh, how we can grow in our biblical leadership, how during a time of building where there's something really uh, material and concrete, uh, like a building, uh, that it is an opportunity for us to uh, grow in faith. Now, I, I clearly understand that for many, uh, they do not like uh, these sort of seasons in a church's life because you talk about money. So I, I, I want to say right up front, I'm not trying to twist anybody's arm uh, in this series uh, to give money that you don't want to give. Uh, I'm not trying to do that. But I am interested in uh, growing your faith and giving you an opportunity and uh, giving you the, the chance to see how God historically has used uh, moments like this in uh, the church life and in the Old Testament times uh, of growing uh, people's faith, of, of seeing the tangible presence of God in ways that we don't in other seasons uh, in our life. So uh, let me just uh, say that uh, today what I want for you is that you would grow uh, in your biblical leadership, that you would grow in your faith, faith personally, and that corporately, as a church, we would grow in our faith corporately as we see God just doing really incredible things uh, in our body corporately. Uh, so uh, let me just pray for that. Lord, uh, only you can do what only you can do. Uh, Lord, uh, we are dependent on you doing miracles, providing for us. Uh, Lord, helping us to uh, fix our eyes on you and to get unstuck with the things that bog us down in life. And so, Lord, I just pray today that you would anoint my preaching, Lord, that there'd be a sense where it's personal for each person here today, that they would feel connected to you directly, Lord Jesus. So just allow me to, to preach your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. Well, uh, with a building, and when we're talking buildings, uh, part of leadership is trying to understand, well, we, why exactly uh, do you need a building? Uh, which then talks about what is our vision and where are we going and where are we at now? And so uh, I've mentioned last week that there are four uh, guiding uh, verses in the Bible that are really particularly pertinent, we feel, to us as a church. Uh, and uh, last week I shared the Great uh, Commission and uh, preached on that. Uh, the second verse, which has great impact for us as a church, is the great commandment, loving God and loving your neighbor. Uh, the third one is great compassion, and that's actually the one I want to uh, be preaching on today. And then the last one is uh, great companionship. But the reason I want to uh, preach on great uh, compassion 
is because the first one and the third one uh, have building ramifications. Last week we looked at the Great Commission and how I do want church to be a place where you can feel comfortable inviting your friends uh, to come to know Christ and to grow in Christ. And today I want to look at a great compassion because some of the things that we already do in this church uh, and some of the things we would like to uh, expand uh, require physical uh, space, building space. So uh, it, within that, let me say that there are four pertinent scriptures uh, for me when we talk about having great compassion. Uh, let me just read these to you. Uh, you can follow along uh, on the screen. Uh, the first one is Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It says this, Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. Now, that means you individually. It means us corporately. The Lord is giving very clear instructions. When we say, Lord, what do you want from me? What are you requiring of me? And he says this, To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, here's another verse which uh, expresses this idea of great compassion, and this is the New Testament, James 1.27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father. So again, you know, what is religion? What's the point? What is pure and perfect religion? Uh, is this. It means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Then we've got uh, another Old Testament one, Exodus 22, 21, and it says this, You must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. And then lastly, I've put in this psalm, Psalm 106, 3, There is joy for those who deal justly with others and always do what is right. Now, you know, on the Great Commission, a lot of the focus there is our friends and uh, we're trying to have them be excited about the Lord. But when it comes to great compassion, uh, often this part of church life is um, extremely rewarding but on the other hand, sometimes it just feels like you just give and you just give and you just serve and it's always others focused. It may be your friends, it may not be your friends, but there are always needy people. There are always people that just need more than we can give and, and provide. And this puts us in a very um, sort of humble and dependent state before the Lord because we can never give enough. We can never solve all the needs of the poor. And uh, there's a tendency for us to harden our heart and just say, look, I just give up. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make any effort. And yet God is saying to us again and again, we need to have soft hearts. We need to have compassionate hearts. We need to have tender hearts for people that are in distress for whatever reason. And it's very easy for us to you know, point our finger and say, well, if they would just do this or you know, uh, whatever, they would be able to get out of the state that they're in. But God is saying our first response should be one of love, of compassion. Now, uh, that has, for us, uh, building ramifications. And in one sense, there's absolutely nothing we get out of it. 
uh, when we give to the poor, when we serve those that are in need, uh, really they, we, we get nothing back in return directly from them. We can't. They can't. Poor people have very little ability to give back. But what we do get uh, is the approval of God. Uh, you know, God is leaning on us and saying, that's great, well done. This is what pleases God. And so it's an indirect uh, benefit we get, but it's actually a huge benefit. Now, I want to show you a, a video clip. Uh, for those of you that were here, I think, uh, two weeks or so ago, two or three weeks ago, I had my friend from the Cincinnati Vineyard uh, come out and preach. And, uh, and they are a large vineyard. I mean, 6,000 people. And they take this idea of serving the poor very seriously. And they built a facility that was $15 million just to serve the poor. Now, I want to show you this video. And, of course, I want to say right up front, there's almost no correlation between them and us. <laughs> but there is something connected. So uh, have a look at this. A few years ago, we felt like God told us that we need to take a more holistic approach to taking care of our friends in need and, and walking with them. And so we opened up this place called the Healing Center, provide help for the whole person. And so I uh, thought we'd go inside and you could see some of the things that happened in this place day in, day out. Okay? So follow me. Hey, Judy. Hey, Judy. How you doing? Oh, good. I am so glad to have you here and excited to show you the place and what our guests get to experience every day. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's get started. All right. So, uh, folks come in here with all kinds of emotions, and so the first thing we try to do is just welcome them, um, greet them with a smile, um, just let them know that they're welcome here and that God loves them, and uh, just hopefully they just get us just a flavor for how God feels about them in this place. Those that are new, we have an information session for those folks, and it's really well needed at this stage. We have well over 40 services that we have here. It's hard uh, for folks to be aware of all of those, and so at the information session, they get a flavor for the education programs or different things that we have here and then uh, have some hope really for their future for a better successful life. Okay Dave, so this is uh, where we are able to personalize things even a bit more for our guests and they get to meet privately with a trained assessor and talk about what's brought them here today and how we might be able to help them. Hmm. And so this is an opportunity for you to meet with one of our assessors and learn more about the process. Well let's see. So tell me what you do here and how does this assessment thing work? Okay well I walk up to the front and I greet the guests <clears throat> and uh, I bring them back here and they think that we're just going to fill out paperwork, which we do. But I ask them, you know, why are you here? What can we do for you? And they sit down and they start sharing and they share of the problems and things that they're going through. Um, they um, tell stories about their struggles and we pray, I pray for them, um, I cry with them. Mm -hmm. And in the end, it's not about coming here and getting a bag of groceries or getting clothing, but it's about um, giving them hope. And that's what we do. And we let them know that it's okay to ask for help. And and there's, there's dignity. We give them dignity when they come here. They receive that. And hopefully I share the love of Jesus with them when they come. Thanks so much for serving here and giving your time at the Ewing Center. It's my privilege. Hey, Dave. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to take you um, to show you one of our other programs that we have. Talk to a couple of people. It's our job coaching program and just really amazing volunteers that we have here. So I'll introduce you. Sounds great. I'll follow you. Well, hi. 
Hi. Hi. How you doing? Good. Good to see you. So, so you're a job coach. I don't even yes. know what that is. Tell me what, what happens here. Okay. So what a job coach does is we cover all the things that you might think that we do. So interviewing, networking, hooking you up with the right job. Um, but the other thing that we do is really try to seek to understand what are the barriers that are keeping you from getting a job. And we try to bust those barriers, mm -hmm. give you the right tool, and get you set on your way to finding a job. So what, what kind of folks come in to see you? What kind of guests do you have? Any kind of guest. I have seen guests of every socioeconomic background, race, gender, age. So if you have any sort of question or any need related to jobs, we're here for you. Ah. And so uh, someone comes to see you, they mm -hmm. meet with you, you're pretty energized, mm -hmm. you seem like you're pretty excited about yeah. this. What do they leave with? They leave with a plan so we give them step by step here's how to achieve your goals and they leave with hope which is just so huge because most people that we see do not have that when they first come in mm -hmm. and if you see me as a job coach you're gonna leave with a lot of homework <laughs> oh wow like what what would the homework be oh gosh well working on I give them tools on how to work on content for their resume and so oh. they owe me homework for that yeah. they have to practice their interviewing skills and I'm gonna grade them on that when they come back things like that you're like the tough teacher that everybody likes, though. Well, I'm Asian, so it kind of comes to <laughs> I can't thank you enough for what you do here at the Yeah, Hemisphere. absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so your time with us is real brief today, but if I had time, I would love to show you over to the computer lab. I might show you also to our medical office. At our medical office, for example, we have a partnership with Xavier University, our bicycle ministry. At the bicycle ministry, do families can get a bicycle to help them get back and forth to work. Wow. And sometimes that's the only means of transportation that they have, and so it's a real lifeline for them. But right now, we are in front of our marketplace. Our marketplace is our food uh, store, and that allows them not to have to choose between food and clothing or a job program or an education program. So this is a place where they can get all of those services in one place. Kind of a, a one-stop shop here at the Healing Center. Yes, that's right. Awesome. Okay, what's next? Okay, sure. So Dave, this is our warehouse where we provide um, clothes and household items to guests um, and some things like fans in the summertime, coats in the wintertime. One of the unique aspects of the program actually is works in conjunction with our job program, hmm. and that's to provide suits uh, for men and women uh, getting ready for job interviews. And we have several of our volunteers here today to get you to demonstrate. For so, you if I bit. was a guest, then you're going to suit me up for a job. There you go. That's awesome. Hey, Dave. Bring it on. Come on. for coming out today and just having a chance to hear a little bit more about us here at the Healing Center. Really appreciate it. And Judy, you are the most awesome tour guide ever. Thank you for what you do here. And for you guys, thank you for what you've done to make this place happen, to make it possible. It's because you were obedient to God in serving or giving of gifts or whatever it was, you made this happen. The stories of life transformation and change that you've heard, it's because of you. So. Thank you, and let's keep bringing the kingdom to Cincinnati and beyond. Kevin, you can, uh, that was great, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, let me just give you a couple of, 
how do we re relate to that? Obviously, the scale is just like so much greater than we've even got a grid for, right? Uh, well, yes and no, actually. Uh, yes, it's so much bigger because that's, like I said, $15 million. And here we're trying to get $3 million together, uh, partly through the equity in this building, partially uh, through your giving, and partially through uh, you know, bank financing uh, is what, what we're planning for. But um, what is interesting to me is really this whole uh, feel that they uh, have, have styled that building around, where we can serve the poor, and they serve the poor, or those in need, they don't even need to be poor, with dignity and with hope. Now, part of that is done, strangely enough, through all sorts of things, like the architecture and the feel of the building. So uh, this is their facility that we've just looked at that video. Now, notice this is a standalone facility. I don't particularly care for that. Uh, I think it would be much nicer to integrate it as part of the church. But, you know, the church grew, and then out of that, they then um, did this. Now, from a financing standpoint, it's often the idea whenever we do a church campaign, people think money is going to come from somewhere else. And likewise with them, they said, well, look, hey, you've got all these social programs, you'll get state funding. When all was said and done, all the other financing fell apart. Uh, this whole thing was funded by their members. And that's after they obviously had a pretty fancy facility uh, just to um, do church in. And as uh, Dave reminded me, he said Cincinnati is one of the poorer uh, cities in, in, um, uh, in, in, in America. Uh, I think it was ranked like the third poorest uh, city. And uh, now it's the uh, 10th poorest city. So as Dave says in his great humor, oh, we just suck less. I mean, it's a great place to be. <laughs> but uh, what I am saying is when we look at these things, and they just look like impossible. You know, as we sit in the front end of a campaign, it looks impossible. But what I want us to get is not like this huge, grandiose uh, facility. I realize that's probably beyond our ability. But, uh, Kevin, if you go to the next slide, uh, what I do want us to see is this is the lobby coming in. And I love the feel where people can come with dignity and with hope. Uh, it doesn't look like a government institution it looks warm and welcoming. Uh, go to the next uh, slide, Kevin. You know, he has just another view. Now, for our facility, I would love to incorporate this kind of a lobby uh, in our new facility. You know, we are very squished in our lobby. It's loud, it's noisy, it's, it's you know, we squash together. But also, I would love the idea that our lobby would serve both purposes. It's the lobby on Sunday where you come into church. And uh, you might as well be going through that door on the right-hand side, which might be the sanctuary. But uh, equally, uh, that door could be, you know, the other ministries that we already do at this church. Or it could be, you know, if we're going to do a, a clothing and food pantry, you would go through that door. So what I'm saying is the lobby would be the same lobby for our emphasis on compassion. It would be the same lobby for our emphasis on the Great Commission. It's one facility, it's one place. Everybody that comes, whether you're coming Sunday morning, midweek, in the evening during the week, whether you're coming for a Bible study, or whether you're coming for a recovery meeting, or whether you're coming for you know, some counseling, uh, you come through the same entrance 
and you come through with compassion. Now, it's not all that obvious to everybody exactly what we all do already. I mean, I'm not talking about like, hey, you know, it's a pipe dream if we could do all these ministries. We are already doing a whole bunch of, of ministries. Uh, we already, Bernadette is spearheading uh, orphans and widows, mostly Dominican Republic. Uh, we've got a peace ministry where we're helping parenting children that are on the spectrum. And, uh, you know, they get together as parents and support each other. How do we uh, handle our kids that have got difficulties? We've got heart song ministry uh, where we're mentoring, intentionally trying to mentor um, uh, kids, especially kids that need mentoring because they lose, they've lost a, a father or a spouse. Uh, then we do provide uh, food. We actually just give grocery card. We don't have a you know plate of dirty. Once some food, you see Bernadette, and you say, okay, let's go down to uh, you know price chopper. Uh, we do that, uh, but we also have you know people that want to do other ministries like recovery ministry. We haven't got that going, but it's been percolating for a while. And then we have all sorts of in-house ministries which we do. We do women's Bible study. We have uh, a prayer ministries. Uh, we have leadership meetings. We have uh, deep level healing ministries and deliverance uh, ministries. We have living waters, which is inner healing ministry. Uh, we have uh, prison ministry. Now, you know, even with prison ministry, uh, Sue would love to meet with families where they've got someone that's in prison, but the family also has needs on like, okay, how do we get cared for as a family? and to be able to meet with them. You know, some of the, the rooms are not that complicated to do. You just need a, a, a multi-purpose uh, room that can, you know, maybe seat 50 people. You can do a Bible study in a, one night, and you can do uh, heart song ministry the other night in that same room. But we just need a, a few multi-purpose rooms uh, to do that. Uh, then there's also all sorts of things like having a full uh, functioning kitchen uh, so you can do things like dinners for the poor or maybe in-house where we do you know, a wedding or a funeral and you've got the facility to be able to provide food. So uh, we're at the point now uh, be, that we've raised a little bit of money that we're going to start looking for facilities. So we at that point, we're going to now start looking and see, okay, what's out there and uh, what can we afford? And I am asking uh, folks to... Uh, consider contributing financially, if you haven't already done so, uh, to this cause, for this campaign. And uh, again, uh, what I'm asking you to do is, is really something very simple. I'm asking you to start with the question of just asking God, God, what do you want me to give? That's all I'm asking you to do. Just ask God, what do you want me to give? And then uh, the second uh, question uh, would then be, well, God, how am I going to do that? And, and that's the leadership part of this exercise, you see, because God is the one that needs to speak to us. It's God that needs to put it on our heart, not me. I'm not trying to twist your arm or manipulate you. I am asking you to learn some leadership lessons. And uh, the leadership lesson that I was emphasizing last week was just to ask the what question. And it's simply to ask God, what do you want me to do? Or what do you want me to give? If anything, I mean, will you just ask God that question seriously? Will you ask it with your, with your spouse? Will you spend some time just asking, God, what do you want me to give? Uh, what I want to emphasize today is a whole separate part of that, and that is 
normally we start at this point, and that's how we're going to give. Uh, and this is the fun part. This is the miracle part. This is the exciting part. Because if God gives you a figure or gives you an idea of what you want to give, He's got a plan of how He's going to get you to give it. But if you start with, how much money have I got left over in my bank account? It'll always be zero. Uh, you know, it's, you've always spent all your money. Uh, I mean, we, but if you start with, God, what do you want us to give? And then the follow-up question, God, how are you going to do that? And now you're on an adventure with God. Now your faith is going to grow because you're going to be partnering with what God is already doing, and you're going to be part of that equation. That's the exciting part, and that's the part that I want uh, you to be part of. So uh, I am preaching out of the book of Haggai, and I want to uh, continue preaching out of this uh, book of Haggai. I don't know if any of you read this book this week, but you know, if you're not a big reader and you just really want to have like a checklist, I read a book this week, just Haggai's your book. I mean, it's two chapters. Uh, you read those two chapters, you tell everybody, I read a whole book this week, and man, it was awesome. Uh, so there you go. That's why Haggai is a great book. Uh, minor prophet, use your index to find it. Uh, it's the number 10 out of the 12 minor prophets. Uh, so use your index to find it. But I want to read uh, this to you. This is chapter 2 of Haggai. Then on October the 17th, now that's kind of interesting. It seems like this is the season, you see, October 17th, that's Friday. This must be the season where God just does building things. Because again, remember in context, Haggai is the prophet that is in, encouraging the people that have moved back into the promised land and is encouraging Ezra and Nehemiah to get the people to continue building the temple they started with build, rebuilding this, the temple, and uh, then they stalled. And so Haggai is uh, communicating with them, and he says this. Well, let me read it. Then on October the 17th of that same year, this is uh, 520 B.C., the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, and he's the governor, and to Jeshua, and he's the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people there in the land. Does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? Okay, so here's the problem that these people are having. They used to have a temple. Uh, that was the glorious temple that King Solomon built. It was a marvel and a wonder of the world. I mean, it was a structure like no other structure. And then the people were sent into exile, and the temple got demolished. And now the people are coming out of exile. They broke, they poor, they've moved back into the land, and they're trying to rebuild the temple. And they look at what they're building, and it's like, well, this ain't so great. It's nothing like the previous temple. And they're feeling discouraged. It's much like if we look at Dave's uh, healing center and say, wow, look what he's got, and look what we got. I mean, all we got is this. I mean, it's easy when you contrast and compare what other people are God or what, you know, what happened in the temple beforehand. And they say, well, we got nothing. And God is saying something very pertinent. He says, how in comparison does it look to you? It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Now he's the leader. Be strong, Jeshua. He's the high priest. 
Be strong, you people still left in the land. Now get to work. And I am with you, says the Lord. Now look, there's nothing more exciting and more encouraging in our walk with God than when we hear that God is with us. Uh, you know, when God is involved in our lives, when God is saying, I'm with you and I'm for you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to help you get through this. This is a time when we grow and when it's exciting. It's always going to be challenging. And then it carries on. It says, my spirit remains among you just as I promised when I came out of Egypt. Now, it carries on, and I won't read it all, but for the sake of time, verse 7 says, I will shake the nations and the treasuries of the nations. I mean, God has no problem coming up with money is basically what he's saying. Uh, God is saying, you know, when it comes to finances, I can get it out of anybody. Uh, he, he owns it all. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord. That's verse 8. But then listen to this very interesting verse. The future glory of this temple, now this is the puny temple that they're rebuilding, will be greater than its past glory. Wait a bit. That Solomon's temple is referring to. And he's saying this is going to be greater. He says, the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Now, for those that uh, don't believe the Bible is inspired, for those that don't believe in God, they would say, there it is, black and white. We have historical proof that that never, ever happened. We have historical proof that that second temple was, actually did get built, but it was puny, and it was nothing like the former glory of the first temple. And let me just uh, remind you, we don't have a sense that there's been great peace in the Middle East, even to this day. And you say, well, you see, there it is. God made a promise, and it didn't come through. Except if you believe in Jesus. Now, there is something absolutely remarkable because this ended up being a prediction about Christ. And so if we jump forward into the New Testament and we look at John chapter 2, we realize that Jesus actually fulfills this very promise. And uh, let me just read it to you. Here is Jesus. He's just moved into the temple. He's turned the tables upside down. He's causing a major problem. And the priests come rushing down, and they are mad at him. And uh, it says this in John chapter 2. When the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He was standing in that exact spot of where that temple was being built that we're talking about in Haggai. He was standing in the completed temple and he was saying, okay, destroy this temple. What Jesus has done, he said, I am the temple. Everything, all the hope that was put in the Old Testament temple, Jesus is saying, it's me. The hope is in me. All the purpose of the Old Testament temple is being fulfilled through Jesus. And the only way you will have peace is peace given to you by Jesus. It is no longer peace like in the world around you. It is a peace that only Christ can give you. And those of us that have received Christ, we understand that peace. We understand that in the midst of turmoil, you can have peace. 
It's why so many Christians are flocking to try and help the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, where everybody else is running away from it. Many of the doctors, many of the missionaries are out there saying, I have peace in Christ. I want to serve the poor. I want to make a difference. And yes, I realize it's a high-risk deal. But when you're motivated by Christ, everything changes. That's the difference. This Haggai book is great. And I want to finish uh, with this idea that I've asked you guys to consider giving in one of three ways. If you've got cash and you've got stock and you give that, praise the Lord. And for all of you that were so smart, way smarter than me, and you realized that you already gave your stock and now you just watched the stock market crash last week, you are just praising the Lord because now you've got the upper value of the stock that you've given. And unless you're accountant, you'll never understand that. But all the people that gave stock, they are just so happy this morning while everybody else is so sad. Now, that's just a mystery that you just have to discuss with people that own stock and gave stock. They're just delighted because they got the top of the market. But uh, that's because they were obedient. I mean, you know, I don't know. God works in mysterious ways. But the other way I've asked you to give is just a pledge. Like you ask God how much you want to give, and then you say, okay, I can't give it all today, but over the next 18 months, you know, I want to commit to an X amount, whatever you feel the Lord is putting on your heart, and then you give. But the third method is this mysterious one, the one that I've called a windfall blessing. And as I shared my testimony with you uh, earlier on in the season, in the spring, that was the category I fell in. Lord, I don't have any money. I asked, Lord, what do you want me to give? And I felt very clearly the Lord said $9,800. I mean, I might be missing the numbers now because I'm forgetting. But I think it was $9,800. I'm like, Lord, how am I going to come up with that? And uh, as you heard my testimony, God gave me $9,800. And I've already given my check to the church. And I'm just delighted because for me, that's like, wow. I've just seen the hand of God. This is like a financial miracle. I mean, I'm just really jazzed about it. But now, what about you? Uh, well, here's this part. This is the end of Haggai. And, uh, and this is what's happened, just to build it up here. Uh, God is saying, look, you've tried your best. And basically, it's not working out too good for you. You're working hard. You're doing the fields. And your fruit is just not doing that great. And then he's got this, what I'm calling a windfall blessing. This is verse 18. I'm going to read this to you. Think about this 18th day of December when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. And God says, think carefully. Okay, so this is the deal. The people have now taken action. They started. They, 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 they did the, the foundation, and then they got stuck. And God is saying this, I'm going to give you a windfall blessing. You're going to do everything just the way you did it in the past. You're going to go and plant your seed just like you did in the past. But this time, you're going to be hugely blessed. And it says here in verse 19, I am giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You, will not, you have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onwards, I will bless you. You see, that's the windfall blessing. The seed is the same as the seed they had before. It's the same crops. It's the same. But this time they're saying, God, 
you know, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to give? How do you want me to do it? And God says, I'll show you. And there's this huge blessing that, that comes with it. That's the fun part. Steve, why don't you come on up? Uh, Steve's got a great testimony uh, how God uh, worked in his life recently and uh, in this vein. And, and I'm just delighted that she, Steve's willing to share us. And uh, there you go. Thank you, Rob. <clears throat> Good morning. So well, Rob asked me to give my testimony about um, my little windfall. And um, I said immediately yes. I said because I thought that... Um, that I've been blessed very well my whole life. I've got a great wife, great kids. We've had the means to help my mother-in-law, Judy, with a home to live in. And um, so similarly to last week's testimony, mine starts with an attorney. I get a, a notice in the mail. And unfortunately, it was not Aunt Mary. It was, um, I'm, I'm being sued. I was being sued in land court. And um, this started in 2009. So. Land court takes a long time, and it's rather expensive. So we um, got an attorney. We started dealing with the attorney. Of course, the $5,000 retainer is the first bill, and the bills kept coming, and he was not performing up to par. So Christine and myself had been praying to, as a family, but really not involved in the church. Well, we started involving the life group, and... Uh, attorney's name came up. So we called him and he said, he was an honest attorney, he said that um, um, that's really not my expertise, but call this guy. He might take your case. He, can, he might be able to help you. So we called him and he said, yep, I'll take the case. So the $5,000 retainer bill came about two days later and we had already exhausted all of our funds. So in, during life group we prayed and um, we didn't pray for money, we just prayed for a means. The following week at work, my week's work was to cut out all this copper. And the end of the week, my cut was $2,000. The um, second week, my cut was $3,000. I got exactly the $5,000 retainer we needed. So we paid that off. And then the whole course of this lawsuit, I was fired from a job. Three days later, I got a better job that paid more. The um, and then with the, um, <clears throat> we had decided that um, my old hunting camp that my parents and myself had owned since long before I was married, since I was in my teens, we really weren't using it, and we really weren't keeping it up, so we decided we would sell it. And the sale of the property, in our northern Vermont, there's houses on the market for 10 years that haven't sold. It sold in three weeks. And after we paid all of the, the bills, my parents took their cut, and I took my cut, we ended up with a little over $60,000. And we, now we had money to, to give for the church building fund. So, and we have our war chest full, so we can hopefully finish this lawsuit out and be done with it. So that's my story. Steve, thank you. I mean, isn't that incredible? You know, it's just like one turnaround thing after another, uh, and it's significant. I mean, significant big events again and again in uh, in their lives. So, why don't we uh, just uh, end here? That that'll be great. Why don't we have the worship team uh, come on up and do a closing song, and then uh, we'll have an opportunity for some ministry time. But uh, 
Actually, while they come here, why don't you hit the lights for me? Let's do a, a quick uh, prayer exercise. And this is just between you and the Lord. I just want to lead you through something that you may or may not find helpful. If this resonates with you, great. If, if it doesn't, I'm not asking you to share it or anything. But um, uh, just ask the Lord, is there anything in today's message which uh, really resonated with you? And uh, then the question to ask is, is why? Why did that scripture or that point or why did that resonate with you? What was, what was it that was appealing to you? And uh, this is not rocket science, so you don't have to spend hours thinking about it. Then the other side of this is, is anything that was said today that was exact opposite? You found that really repulsive, you found it, you were resisting it, and you, you were just battling. Uh, and then ask yourself, well, why? Why, why so? And then uh, you might just want to ask the Lord, uh, you know, what is my part? And I'm just giving you a chance in church because I, I know I'll make many good suggestions and you forget them before you even leave the building. So, you know, you might just be sitting here, Lord, what, what do you want me to do financially? What do you want me to do about this? And... Uh, this is something, obviously, to discuss with your spouse if you're married. And then the second question would be, well, Lord, how are we going to do that? And the question that you want to be asking the Lord is, how can I partner with you? How can I have a story like we just heard Steve's story? How can you do that in my life? So, Lord, I just pray for your people. I just pray financial blessing on them. But, Lord, I also pray, uh, just as you did in the temple, Lord, that we can only find peace and comfort and true joy in you. And so, Lord, for anybody here today that doesn't know you, that doesn't have true peace, Lord, I just pray that uh, if they want to, Lord, that you would meet them. Lord, if they want to receive you, that they would sense that you are available, that you speak to them, that you can be their personal God, that you can live within us. Thank you, Jesus, that you seek us and you pursue us. We thank you, Jesus, that you love us and that you're for us and you want this, this life to be rich and rewarding. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you uh, stand while we have the lights on. Let's do a finishing song and ministry. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, that it's a delight uh, to serve you, Lord, that we can count on you, uh, Lord, that you are always faithful and loving. Lord, we just serve a loving God and we just delight in seeing you move in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, before you run out, one, we have Kevin come on up and give us a word. Kevin, come stand up on the stage here because everybody's standing. Can't see back there. Uh, so th there was a theme this morning. I, I can sum it up with this uh, phrase, um, acquire the desire to be transformed. And... Um, 
maybe for some of you, uh, you know the Lord, th there's something that uh, he wants to change in you, whether it's maybe it's the idea of moving to a new facility, maybe it's a character issue, wh whatever it might be. Um, I, I believe the challenge is um, asking the Lord uh, for the desire um, to be tr transformed, to, to take you and, and change you. Um, so I, I won't put you on the spot this morning, but um, I, I just challenge you to respond to the Lord. And if you'd like prayer for anything else, um, we'd love to pray with you. Great. Bless you guys. Come on up if you want prayer. And you might want prayer for something totally different. Come on up. Our service is done. Bless you guys. Go and get uh, coffee out in the lobby and uh, pick up your kids. If you want prayer, come on down. Otherwise, out there, our worship team, just turn the volume down and and uh, we can have some music here while we pray. Bless you. Have a great week. Great to see you.